Hey friends, this is Dixon Kavanaugh, and welcome to another episode of Out Loud with Dixon, where we will explore wisdom, get creative, and better appreciate this fun, chaotic, and beautiful world that we live in. Before we dive into today's reading of Zen in the Art of Archery, I've got to ask you a question that's been puzzling me over the last few weeks, which is, how do you know when you are fully present? I've realized that a lot of books and thinkers that I come across talk about the importance of being fully present and present moment awareness. And I know that presence is high on my list of values, but how do I know when I'm being present? A trait like honesty or compassion is a bit easier to pin down. I know when I've told the truth or told a lie, and I know when I've created space for someone to open and connect free of my own judgment. But being fully present, what indicators can I look to? What evidence do I have to support or disprove my presence? This is just a bit of a brain teaser to get us warmed up for the fantastic and at times convoluted odyssey that is Zen in the Art of Archery. Imagine for a moment, you've just been invited to Japan to lecture as a professor of Western philosophy, and you have a real desire to explore Eastern mysticism and Zen Buddhism. But first, you've got to be initiated and proven worthy of the more secret teachings, in this case, by perfecting the art of archery. Well, that's exactly what our author friend Eugene Harrigal did as a student philosopher of Zen and archery in Japan for six years from 1924 to 1930. Now I'll warn you, some of the passages that we will hear are gonna get a bit tricky and might not make total sense at first, and that's a good thing. The effort and care in digging through this story makes us flex our mental muscle, and we find the hidden gems of knowledge that would be left untouched, if not for excavations and attitude of discovery. What we will find is one man's journey into the depths of Zen. Along the way, he shares the value in learning to tap into the power of his breathing, and how breathing is the source of his focus and strength. The last passage we will hear today I chose because I found it to be such a strikingly beautiful and thoughtful description of a deep meditative experience. Trying to capture in words what meditation is like is damn near impossible and is typically an empty shimmer of the real thing, like mistaking a mannequin for an actual human being or confusing a stranger for someone you know, only realizing your mistake after taking a few steps closer. But it's clear to me that Herigl's description, even if confusing at first, is legitimate and comes from real personal experience. The experience of total flow, peak performance, a heightened state of awareness, free of limits. A place where abundance, taken from abundance, is still abundance. And with that, gather around, listen close, and join me as we journey into Zen in the Art of of archery. Quote, Wrapped in impenetrable darkness, Zen must seem the strangest riddle which the spiritual life of the East has ever devised, insoluble and yet irresistibly attractive. The reason for this painful feeling of inaccessibility lies, to some extent, in the style of exposition that has hitherto been adopted for Zen. 
No reasonable person would expect the Zen adept to do more than hint at the experiences which have liberated and changed him, or to attempt to describe the unimaginable and ineffable truth by which he now lives. In this respect, Zen is akin to pure introspective mysticism. Unless we enter into mystic experiences by direct participation, we remain outside, turn and twist as we may. Like all mysticism, Zen can only be understood by one who is himself a mystic and is therefore not tempted to gain by underhand methods what the mystical experience withholds from him. Yet the man who is transformed by Zen and who has passed through the fire of truth leads far too convincing a life for it to be overlooked. So it is not asking too much if, driven by a feeling of spiritual affinity and desirous of finding a way to the nameless power which can work such miracles. For the merely curious have no right to demand anything, and we expect the Zen adept at least to describe the way that leads to the goal. No mystic and no student of Zen is, at first step, the man he can become through self-perfection. How much has still to be conquered and left behind before he finally lights upon the truth? How often is he tormented on the way by the desolate feeling that he is attempting the impossible? And yet, this impossible will one day have become possible and even self-evident. Is there not room for the hope, then, that a careful description of this long and difficult road will allow us at least one thing, to ask whether we wish to travel it? Quote, As I was drawing the bow, he called out to me, Relax, relax, a word he had learned in the meantime, though he never lost his patience and politeness. But the day came when it was I who lost patience and brought myself to admit that I absolutely could not draw the bow in the manner prescribed. You cannot do it, explained the master, because you do not breathe right. Press your breath down gently after breathing in so that the abdominal wall is tightly stretched and hold it there for a while. Then breathe out as slowly and evenly as possible. And after a short pause, draw a quick breath of air again out and in continually in a rhythm that will gradually settle itself. If it is done properly, you will feel the shooting become easier every day. For through this breathing, you will not only discover the source of all spiritual strength, but will also cause this source to flow more abundantly and to pour more easily through your limbs the more relaxed you are. And as if to prove it, he drew his strong bow and invited me to step behind him and feel his arm muscles. They were indeed quite relaxed, as though they were doing no work at all. The new way of breathing was practiced, without bow and arrow at first, until it came naturally. The slight feeling of discomfort noticeable in the beginning was quickly overcome. The master attached so much importance to breathing out as slowly and steadily as possible to the very end that, for better practice and control, he made us combine it with a humming note. Only when the note had died away with the last expiring breath were we allowed to draw air again. The breathing in, the master once said, binds and combines. By holding your breath, you make everything go right, and the breathing out loosens and completes by overcoming all limitations. But we could not understand that yet. 
I cannot think back to those days without recalling over and over again how difficult I found it in the beginning to get my breathing to work out right. Though I breathed in technically the right way, whenever I tried to keep my arm and shoulder muscles relaxed while drawing the bow, the muscles of my legs stiffened all the more violently, as though my life depended on a firm foothold and secure stance, and as though, like Antaeus, I had drawn strength from the ground. Often the master had no alternative but to pounce quick as lightning on one of my leg muscles and press it in a particularly sensitive spot. When, to excuse myself, I once remarked that I was conscientiously making an effort to keep relaxed, he replied, that's just the trouble. You make an effort to think about it. Concentrate entirely on your breathing, as if you had nothing else to do. It took me a considerable time before I succeeded in doing what the master wanted, but I succeeded. I learned to lose myself so effortlessly in the breathing that I sometimes had the feeling that I myself was not breathing, but, strange as this may sound, being breathed. And even when, in hours of thoughtful reflection, I struggled against this bold idea, I could no longer doubt that the breathing held out all that the master had promised. Now and then, and in the course of time more and more frequently, I managed to draw the bow and keep it drawn until the moment of release while remaining completely relaxed in body, without my being able to say how it happened. The qualitative difference between these few successful shots and the innumerable failures was so convincing that I was ready to admit that now at last, I understood what was meant by drawing the bow spiritually. Quote, the process of letting go of oneself was likewise divided into separate sections which had to be worked through carefully. The first step along this road had already been taken. It had led to a loosening of the body, without which the bow cannot be properly drawn. If the shot is to be loosed right, the physical loosening must now be continued in a mental and spiritual loosening, so as to make the mind not only agile, but free. Agile because of its freedom, and free because of its original agility. And this original agility is essentially different from everything that is usually understood by mental agility. Thus, between these two states of bodily relaxedness on the one hand, and spiritual freedom on the other, there is a difference of level, which cannot be overcome by breath control alone, but only by withdrawing from all attachments whatsoever by becoming utterly egoless, so that the soul sunk within itself stands in the plentitude of its nameless origin. The demand that the door of the senses be closed is not met by turning energetically away from the sensible world, but rather by a readiness to yield without resistance. In order that this actionless activity may be accomplished instinctively, the soul needs an inner hold, and it wins it by concentrating on breathing. This is performed consciously and with a conscientiousness that borders on the pedantic, that breathing in, like the breathing out, is practiced again and again by itself with the utmost care. This exquisite state of unconcerned immersion in oneself is not unfortunately of long duration. It is liable to be disturbed from inside, as though sprung from nowhere, Moods, feelings, desires, worries, and even thoughts incontinently rise up in a meaningless jumble, 
and the more far-fetched and preposterous they are, and the less they have to do with that which one has fixed one's consciousness, the more tenaciously they hang on. It is as though they wanted to avenge themselves on consciousness for having, through concentration, touched upon realms it would otherwise never reach. The only successful way of rendering this disturbance inoperative is to keep on breathing, quietly and unconcernedly, to enter in friendly relations with whatever appears on the scene, to accustom oneself to it, to look at it equably, and at last grow wary of looking. In this way, one gradually gets into a state which resembles the melting drowsiness on the verge of sleep. To slip into it finally is the danger that has to be avoided. It is met by a peculiar leap of concentration, comparable perhaps to the jolt which a man who has stayed up all night gives himself when he knows that his life depends on all his senses being alert. And if this leap has been successful but a single time, it can be repeated with certainty. With its help, the soul is brought to the point where it vibrates of itself in itself. A serene pulsation which can be heightened into the feeling otherwise experienced only in rare dreams of extraordinary lightness and the rapturous certainty of being able to summon up energies in any direction to intensify or to release tensions graded to a nicety. This state in which nothing definite is thought, planned, striven for, desired, or expected which aims in no particular direction and yet knows itself capable alike of the possible and the impossible, so unswerving is its power. This state, which is at bottom purposeless and egoless, was called by the master truly spiritual. It is in fact charged with a spiritual awareness and is therefore also called the right presence of mind. This means that the mind or spirit is present everywhere because it is nowhere attached to any particular place. And it can remain present because even when related to this or that object, it does not cling to it by reflection and thus lose its original mobility. Like water filling a pond, which is always ready to flow off again, it can work an inexhaustible power because it is free and be open to everything because it is empty. This state is essentially a primordial state, and its symbol, the empty circle, is not empty of meaning for him who stands within it. End quote. And we are back. Something I dug up in my research is that this book is an Amazon bestseller under the category Personal Transformation. Are you ready, willing, or eager to set upon the path of mastery, self-study, and transformation. I liked what the author had to say about how consistent breathing practice can lead to the sensation of being breathed, or that our entire body is breathing. It's not a process isolated to our nose and chest, but is sucked in from all sides and angles, leading to what Herigl calls the soul vibrating of itself and in itself. At the beginning of the episode, I asked how we know if we are being present. Did you hear how the master might define presence? Bringing an object into awareness, even loving it, but not feeling attached or clinging. Personally, that raises more questions than it answers. And great, even if it is right, we won't know it's true until we find it through our own experience and practice. 
And remember, everything is practice. I'd be fooling myself if I thought I could practice presence or discipline or love on Sundays. It's like the rabbi who talking about the Sunday Sabbath, day of rest, says, hey, it's easy. Honor God one-seventh of every week, one-seventh of every day, one-seventh of every hour, and one-seventh of every second. The light is always on. And with that, thank you for joining me for today's episode. I hope you got something from it. And make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share it with a friend. And of course, check out previous episodes on the podcast. We're starting to build a pretty cool library of books and stories. And above all else, remember, live with presence, confidence, and love. Thank you.